Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto Sauce Podcast. I'm Greg Sauce, your host, and on this episode, number 116, with me is the great Kenneth Griggs at Dexter's underscore library on Twitter. Well, maybe not anymore, but uh, Ken, uh, welcome back to the show, man. It's good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Greg. Yeah, so uh, Ken and I are going to talk football to start off. We're going to talk a little bit about the offseason, you know, free agency, uh, other moves that we've seen, you know, a couple trades here and there, a little bit of draft strategy talk. And then uh, I want to talk to Kenneth about his mission to read 52 books in a year. That's a book a week for those of you doing the math at home. Uh, But let's kick things off with the NFL. And I'm curious, Kenneth, when you look at kind of what happened this offseason, which of the moves so far have you the most interested or intrigued or excited for the next season of football? I'll tell you, it's from an extremely uh, selfish place uh, (laughs) as all, as any good take would be, but I'm a Odell Beckham junior fan in general, but I have uh, Baker in my keeper league and uh, I, I couldn't have been happier about that situation. Uh, I don't know. Whether they got fleeced on that deal, but we will find out. Because if he's healthy, he should get like what close to two hundred targets. It, knowing Mayfield, he'll just—I mean, did you see the dimes he was throwing? Man, I'm I'm very excited. You got you got to be. What do you? Who do you think is going to take the brunt of? I, I don't want to say this. Anybody's a loser in that offense because in general, the whole offense will get better if Beckham's there. But is there somebody who you're more worried about now that he's there? Is it Landry or the tight end Njoku or maybe the running backs? Like, where, where do you see that playing out? Yeah, Njoku would be where I would be pretty kind of sell there, which sucks because I think he they seem to be kind of clicking at the end. So maybe not. Maybe, he, you know, who knows there? I, I don't know. I wouldn't sell probably any part of that offense just yet. If I was like a, if I was in a keeper or a dynasty, but I can't play, I can't play dynasty, man. Cause I'd be like, I'd never shut off. I'm, I was just about to ask you now that you have Mayfield after this move, have you considered shopping him or like what, what would it take to get you to sell that off? Like what, what would you have to get in return? You think well, this is such a weird league. This I'm in this league and these, it's a, the format's really strange. Like you can ride the wire. It's a 10 team. PPR, but you get to keep two guys or whatever, you know, for like whatever round. They go up every two or whatever, up two rounds every year or whatever. Okay. I don't know. It's a strange league, but I, I, I'm probably not going to give him up because I mean, it's a, and quarterbacks score a ton in that league. That's the reason I'd be keeping him. So yeah, I, I probably wouldn't trade him. I'd be trading, I'd be trading for him. I'm that big on that offense. I was going to say, if you only have two keeper spots, I would think you would want to use that on a position that's maybe a little less deep than quarterback. But, uh, I mean, how how is the scoring different? Like, are these guys putting up, like, 30, 40 points a week or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a good a good QB can get you, I mean, I guess last year I saw a couple of QBs get in the 50s. So QBs, yeah, are, are gold in that league. I kind of like it, actually. I mean, that reflects the real NFL, I guess, to some extent, if, if, yeah. And, and the roster and the roster is much, the starting roster is much larger too. So there's two extra spots. Yeah. I think there is an argument to be made that the shallower your league is, the more the elite quarterbacks go up in value. Like that, that might seem counterintuitive. Like if you have to start more quarterbacks or whatever across the whole league, you might actually want 
like the cheaper guys more I, I feel like that is the case but in a shallower league like a 10 team league one start one quarterback so many teams that don't have those elite guys are all going to be so close in value like if seven out of your 10 teams are starting you know the Matt Ryan types then the only way you're really going to be able to differentiate is if you have Aaron Rodgers or you know perhaps Baker Mayfield in 2019 so yeah I, I could see how that would matter especially if they score a lot right you're rolling the dice yeah and I think this kind of leads into, I don't know if that's the direction you want to go, but the, my idea for, for, uh, draft day, it's not a radical theory by any means, but I'd want to push it even further where, you know, people are like, Oh, you should take risks. You got to take risks. And I say the whole thing should just be a fucking wild risk. Like just take like, you know, you're sitting in the five hole of PPR and you're like, no, I'm taking Odell. You know what I mean? Like, He's probably not supposed to go there, but you're going to do it, you know. And then when it rolls back around to you in the second, and I haven't looked at it enough, but when you want somebody, you just grab them and and take risks all the way down, you know, like Odell and I don't know, Cordell Stewart back in the league. I'm kidding. But like, (laughs) you know, like take extreme risks. And I felt like I did that in my drafts last year. And one, two things happened. First of all, draft day was way more fun. Like you just, I was just like, nope, this is the guy I want. Fuck you. I'm putting him on the board. And I didn't take a, an RB in one league until like the sixth round or something. So it was good. That's awesome. And I think that I, I think I'm going to do that again. And I don't know if I'm explaining myself well enough. This could just be nonsense, but basically just taking a guy or base, you know, around sooner than everyone else little rounds just jumping rounds well i think that does make some sense because we do know so little like really like there's so much variance in the game that you might as well just draft the players you like if especially if it increases your level of fun that much i mean why why the fuck not but at the same time like i think there is something to be said about making you know the smart analytical decision at least in terms of like what type of player you get so are you more talking about like maybe not caring so much who's at the top of your rankings, but saying, okay, I think wide receiver is important. I'm going to take a wide receiver in the first round, but I'm going to have it be Odell Beckham instead of DeAndre Hopkins or whoever the top ranked guy is at that position. Or are you more like skewing it like complete curveballs all around? Like, don't worry about position. Don't worry about the marketplace. Just take the guys that you want. Like, what can you, I guess, flesh it out a little bit more? Yeah. I, I think that it's probably, uh, it's going to be based on league, right? So that sure. the, the league that I obviously didn't take a running back until late was, I remember that I was in the playoffs the year before, and I just had, you know, I had complete rags for running backs. And no offense to those guys as human beings. Like, I'm sure they're good dudes and whatever, but they just, they they were end of year guys that were, you know, hoping to get a job for the next year. And, you know, some of that has panned out. I mean, if you look years past, I'm sure, I don't have any names in front of me, Christ. I can't even remember what I had for lunch. But, you know, guys that came on and then did well the following year. But that doesn't happen a lot, right? So those those guys you take at the beginning of the year, they're I, I only looking for them for maybe four games. People were just ragging on me last year for my Peyton Barber obsession. And, <laughs> and it didn't work, okay? All right? It didn't work. I mean, my friends have let me know many times. But... A guy like him makes a lot of sense, right? He's the opening day starter on a team that's, I mean, decent enough offense. I mean, all they did was throw, obviously. But, like, you take a shot on a guy like him. 
you know? Well, and you do it knowing that you're going to move on from some percentage yes, of your picks. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm like, and you're just, I mean, 100% when you take a guy in the seventh round, I mean, what are the odds he's on your roster at the end of the year? I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, what do you, I mean, unless you're playing with like, you know, limits on cutting and, and picking guys up, which just sounds like the worst league ever, because that's the funnest part. Like, <laughs> look at this guy. I got this guy. He's going to be great this week. This is Priest Holmes. This is the Priest Holmes we've all been waiting for. So at some point, though, you have to do some amount of research into figuring out which players you do like, which guys you are going to reach for, and, and, you know, sow that chaos throughout your draft in. And I'm curious, when you're doing that sort of prep work, how do you balance trying to learn about football or the NFL in general with trying to learn about the fantasy football marketplace and where the guys are being drafted? Like, what's... I guess, how do you weight those two things? Like just general football knowledge and knowledge of specifically how players are being valued in fantasy. Does that question make sense? Um, I think it does. Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Uh, in years past, so in years past, you would say, all right, you know, if I've got, I'm just going to use them as an example, but if I've got Le'Veon Bell, I don't want, you know, Antonio Brown also. Like this was a, this was like an older theory where you wouldn't want to own an entire offense, right? This sure. is, this would be an extreme example of what I'm saying. Especially ones that are counteracting each other. Where like, if you could have like the quarterback and a wide receiver combo, that can work. But if right. you stack up like the running game and the passing game, there are going to be too many instances where they, you know, eat into each other's point totals. Right. This is the theory, right? Right. But the, now these days I avoid an entire offense. Like, I'll go into the season and I'll go, I'm not going to have anybody from that team on one of my opening day rosters, if I can help it. Like, I mean, they're extreme cases. You know, it's round 15 or whatever, and it's like, you know, you got to take somebody from the Raiders. But if not, like, just marking entire teams off. Like last year, I don't know. I'll bet I didn't have any Buffalo Bills. So who do you who do you think that's going to be in 2019? Like, is oh, there any team that that's, jumps that's out to you? That's too early of a question, Greg. I have no idea. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I have not. I haven't turned back on to kind of look enough at it. But you know what? I are we talking about free agents or where are we at now? I mean, we can talk about whatever you want. But I, I guess I, I totally <laughs> love this point you bring up, though, about just saying. I don't necessarily care about whether or not I stack from the good offenses because that can work, you know, and chances yes. are like people are going to get hurt during and the even season. even more so now, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And don't you feel like the teams that are clicking with that sort of thing like seem to avoid injury more because they have enough guys to – like I think Zach Ertz like is a really classic example of that because they – I mean they just fed that dude all year, man. I mean he had crazy stats through most of the year and it was just him really you know like they never had anybody else like going that crazy in that offense so he he might be an anomaly there i hope he better be an outlier or my whole theory shot shot to shit i don't know like i, I think there is a lot of value in just targeting the best offenses or the best teams yes. when you're making your picks and yes. not being afraid to stack those up like that, that sounds like good logic though right Oh, I mean, it to it makes total sense when you really think about it. And we talk ourselves into these, you know, good players on bad teams all the time. And typically the way it works out is like each team will have one or two fantasy viable guys if they're, you know, mediocre or bad teams. 
But where you're really differentiating is with those guys who are in good offenses where, you know, Tyreek Hill can't be covered on every play because they also have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes yeah, buying time sure. in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, imagine up. if you were rolling those dudes out every week. If right. I, didn't, I didn't even have Mahomes on a team. I don't actually think that I should be ever allowed on a fantasy podcast because I didn't even have the guy on a team last year. How do you miss on that guy? I mean, but you weren't the only one who missed on him. He was going as like the QB 15 or QB 20 or something crazy. And, you know, it only took a couple games for us to figure out how wrong we were. I got a, I got a buddy that, that uh, got him in, in both leagues that, I was, that I'm in with him. And I actually beat him week 15 in the league that Aaron Rodgers got me. But he drafted and got him in both those leagues, and he he let us know all year. He's <laughs> continued to let us know. He will continue to let us know forever. But honestly, that that just backs up your theory about taking risks and draft. Is is yeah, go after the second year quarterback who we've never seen. And that's it. Like there it was. Like, and I think I did a more of an element of that. I used to, I think, when I was younger, and just was just whatever. I'm taking this guy, you know. Like leave a little, leave a little of the. This sounds like so dynasty. It's such a weird thing to say, but like go back to that sort of. Uh, I'm gonna go with my instinct here, and it's it could blow up. It could be terrible. Well, one thing I might kind of pile onto your theory with is going with more like when you're taking those sorts of risks, making sure that those risks are more of like the unknown type of risk, as opposed to I think this guy who's proven to be pretty mediocre or bad is going to finally put it together this year. Like, well, I mean, last year I. I I did this. I, I last year I was pretty risky in one league and like kind of flipped it around and went RBRB and I ended up with Jordan Howard and Leonard Fournette and I walked out of draft day and I'm like, oh man, those guys are gonna get you know 600 carries. I'm gonna get at least 15 touchdowns and 600 carries out of those two guys. And boy, that turned out not great. And you know Doug Baldwin was my wide receiver one, so. Yeah. You're one in, you know, I was four and one somehow with that team. It's, it, that was total luck, though. It was just because I was playing. I was the second lowest point person off all four wins for the week. That's how lucky I got. Wow, was, that's pretty incredible. I mean, fantasy football, man. Stuff. Yeah. So. But, yeah, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, like, you would rather take a risk on the guy you've never seen, whether that be Mahomes or – Jimmy Garoppolo, Lamar Jackson, like Lamar Jackson, we've got a little bit of a book on now, but Garoppolo like didn't really get to play at all last year. So he's kind of still fits this bill, but you would go after a guy like that rather than, you know, finally hoping that Marcus Mariota puts it together or that Derek Carr can finally put it together now that he has Antonio Brown. And I might be wrong about Carr and Brown. Like maybe that is the key that kind of unlocks Carr. But to me, like he just hasn't proven that he can do it at the NFL level consistently. Like he had Amari Cooper before we saw Amari Cooper move to Dallas and again, small sample size, but you know, he did fine there with Dak Prescott. So I think that Derek Carr was the problem. And just because they've signed Antonio Brown or or traded for him doesn't, that doesn't make me want to jump back in on Derek Carr. Whereas I, I am more willing to jump in on Garoppolo, even though we haven't seen him because it's unknown. You know what I mean? Like the upside is still there because we, we haven't seen either upside or downside. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. For yeah. sure. I had, I, I had high hopes for Garoppolo. I think I'd probably still be a buyer there, but I don't want any part of Antonio Brown. Just, I, I'm still, yeah, I, I would agree on the car assessment. I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty cold on the Raiders until yeah. they can, 
you know, why that that's that's not a good risk, I don't think. No, I agree. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd rather have Odell. If I'm going to take a shot at somebody, I'd definitely rather have Odell. I mean, they, you could eat your words there, though. You don't know. I mean, maybe Carr throws it to him 250 times, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're banking on so much more than just the targets there with Odell. Like, they're going to be better targets because we know Mayfield's a better QB. Did they sign Latavius Murray? No. Latavius Murray went to New Orleans. He took over for Ingram as that, like, second head of that uh, two-headed monster. Yes. I was reading that today. That could be really good. We'll see. Mm. All right. I want to pivot toward your quest, Kenneth, to read 52 books in a year. And we are going to circle back eventually to football talk, fantasy talk, related to what you've read, what you like to read, how you consume fantasy football content. I'm, I, before we get into what you're actually reading, I'm just curious how your life has changed to make more time for reading. Like, do you miss anything that you've had to give up? Uh, has your daily routine changed? Like, h- how does your life look different now that you're on this mission? Well, it actually didn't change that much. I, I probably read, I don't know, conservatively 25 books last year. I'd say that's probably what I hit last year. And I wasn't like writing them down or whatever. I'm past that stage in my life, I guess. I, maybe I shouldn't be because this is I, I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it because it kind of holds me accountable uh, with it kind of, you know, that uh, what is it? The sword of uh, Demalachy. Who is it? Come on. Demalachy's Demalachy's man. You this got me. Old, this, is... this old stoner. But there's this, uh, this sword that hangs above you, you know, by a horse's hair and uh, letting you know that. At any time you could die, Greg. So I go ahead and, you know, set weird goals for myself. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Hold on. Let's back it up. The Sword of Damocles, is that what it's called? Yeah, Damocles. What did I say? I don't know, but I, I, I mean, you you at least knew what was it was. I was damn close. I, yeah, <laughs> I was damn close. I mean, come on. But no, just as a reminder that, you know, you need to be, you should be doing something at all times. And, and I've got a little bit of time on my hands and I want to show my son. So I'm raising, you know. My son, uh, I'm a stay-at-home parent, and I and I kind of want him to see me reading a little bit. So when I'm chasing him around the house or whatever, I'll I'll get in 10, 15 pages here and there, you know. And then you know my wife is uh, tolerant of my habits, so she gives me a good half an hour, you know, sometimes two hours at night when we don't need to do anything or get anything done. And so I get a lot of reading done there. So I've I've committed the time. More than anything else, I had the time. I just wasn't taking it. So, but what do you feel like you were spending that time on before? Like, if you weren't reading, were you just looking at Twitter? Were you like, uh, I was, yeah, I was probably on Twitter. Uh, I mean, fantasy, the fantasy season, man. I uh, we talked about this a little bit briefly before we came on about just uh, fantasy just drained me this past year because I I was writing again, as you know, for your website, and uh, yeah, it just drained me. So I needed to get away from fantasy a little bit and from Twitter for a little while too. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, what what is the best book you've read so far on this Odyssey? Or are there a couple you want to shout out? Like, what has really stood out to you as as being kind of essential in this journey of yours? This is really hard, but it's so I've been pulling from a list uh, of books written since two thousand. Uh, the best books written since two thousand, and and with a sprinkling of some other stuff that. Uh, friends have told me to read, so it's not. I haven't. I haven't stuck completely to that list, but 
man, if I had to narrow it down to three, it's tough to do because, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say, I mean, you don't have to limit yourself to three. If you want to call out a bunch of different stuff, I'm sure that, you know, the listeners would be interested in hearing, you know, about all sorts of stuff because, uh, from what, what you've told me, it sounds like you're reading a lot of different sorts of novels and, you know, other types of books as well, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the, the Vulture article kind of calls on people from around the internet that obviously know their way around books. You know, I mean, these people have, they've spent their life studying them. So it's not like a bunch of idiots that are recommending books. It's like, it's sourced. And so I'm expecting pretty big things. And then every book that I've read so far off that list pretty much is, has blown me away. Uh, there's a book by, uh, uh, Vietnam Tan Nguyen. And I hope I, I hope I came close there. His last name's N G U Y E N. Yeah, I think it's pronounced Win. That's, I think that's correct. I think that's been, uh, the book is called the sympathizer. I don't know what year it was written. It doesn't matter. It's one of the one of the most I'd say one of the most well-written books that I've ever read. And it, and a lot of people, a lot of the critics were comparing it to Catch-22. And you're like, when you read something like someone say that, it, you go, OK, relax, pump the brakes, pump everybody. Stop what they're doing, because first of all, you've got to go read that book. That should be required reading for humanity. Like we're, we're not going to discuss this one. This one just got to be read. You just got to know them about it okay so when you when you start saying things like that when you start saying that all of humanity should read this book then you kind of get slapped in the face you know and you start paying attention because so the book is about uh just after the fall of saigon uh which is if you'll find not uh, obviously not a very popular topic in america you know uh you don't say not a not a, you know yeah not a not a great time for you so you don't hear uh, uh, perhaps as much about it as you should and uh, this book is just it's a South Vietnamese soldier uh, he's a uh, the general's helper or the right hand man you know but he's a North Vietnamese agent he leaves and comes to America whenever when 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 everybody comes over. And uh, continues to be an agent for the North Vietnamese while he's in while he's in America, and then all these things unfold, and it's 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 Americana, uh, but it's also just heavy on on the Vietnam War. And I had just I had just gotten done watching uh, Ken Burns' documentary, and it was just the most incredible shit that I've ever seen. Like these soldiers opening up and talking about their experiences. And these people are still, you know, alive, both sides. And he interviews everybody from the North Vietnamese army that's still alive, you know. And one of the famous authors, his name's Bao Nine, I, I believe. He wrote The Sorrow of War, which is another book I read. But anyway, long story short, The Sympathizer rivals Heller's Catch-22 I mean, second to second is and, and is just as good and is just as engrossing and just, I think, as important. So that was was that too long? I felt like I was talking. A long time. No, that's good. It, it sounds I don't know, like I tend to be more like I, I like to read fiction for the most part. And this this is reminding me of like a really good science fiction book I read back in the day called The Forever War by, oh, who wrote that? Joe Hadaman, I think is what his name was. Um, okay. Or is. And 
just a, a guy who, you know, lived through the Vietnam War and kind of took what that experience was for him and, you know, translated it or put it in through like a science fiction lens. And um, oh, I've never read that. I, don't know. I think Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein is up there, too. OK, yeah, yeah. Kind of in that same vein. Oh, that, the, okay. But those those are kind of the first books that come to mind when you talk about this. And it's so I mean, it sounds like this book that you're talking about, The Sympathizer, is one. Is it is it nonfiction? No, it's fiction. Oh, okay. it's fiction. It's a yeah. The uh, he's a professor at USC, I believe, of literature. It's one of those books where if you're trying to tell somebody about it, it's you're failing miserably. It's like I I would have guessed that it's like you know ayahuasca. Like I've never done it, so I mean, somebody trying to explain it to me, it'd be like I can't explain this to you. Like you'd have to do it yourself if you want to do that. You know, like. I'm never going to understand that. So yeah, the best books are always like that. I feel, uh, and that's the, yes, absolutely. 100%. Like until you've experienced it and it's, and it sounds so cheesy, but I think that's one of the fun parts of doing this too, is if a good book, man, it's hard to beat a good book. Like if you get a good book, but you know, it's also finding a good one. So, and there's, and it's, and it's hard because some people don't enjoy that kind of shit either. So but that's the great part about this list I'm from. Yeah, do you want to shout another one out? I mean, that I, I haven't heard of The Sympathizer, so I'm definitely going to check that out. But um, anything uh, anything else spring to mind? There's Yes, there's a book called The Sellout, and it's by Paul Beatty. He's a black author from Los Angeles, I believe. And the novel is a satire about a young man born in a, in a town, uh, like a make-believe town, uh, like a farm, a make-believe farm in L.A. Is it L.A.? Yeah, I think it's L.A. And his dad is like this extreme radical guy. And and again, this is another book where if I'm trying to explain it, I'm not doing this book any justice at all, especially since I read it like a month ago. And now I'm like, I can't even, you know, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you details. And I I didn't want to mark it up because I'm going to come back to it. That's a, that's another thing. Like I'll definitely come back to that book. And that's, you also know whether you've read something really special. If you're like, wow, I really want to, I want to read this again. Keep that in the shelf and come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a tricky part too with my wife and I were talking. I'm like, you know, a budget for books a month at, you know, when we're pushing, yeah, I buy on Amazon. I do it. I'm sorry. What am I supposed to do? And so I mean, I can't have a budget for books of like $30 a month. Come on. Like, we're not. That's that's ridiculous. So I've been doing some renting from the library. That makes it harder, too, because they, then they put you on a timeline. Everybody's got me on a timeline, Greg. <laughs> I can't take it much longer. Welcome to the future, Ken. <laughs> yeah, welcome welcome to adulthood, shithead. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but so then, so then I can't mark them up or, I, you know, I can't bend a page back, which I do, like, I know people get mad, but it's like I bought I bought the motherfucker. I want to I want to dog ear my pages. I'll dog ear my fucking pages. You know what I mean? Yeah, and no, I'm the same way. Yeah, that I am also reading right now. Uh, Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail. I've never read it. Never read it in my life. So, but I'm going slow on that one because uh, I want to enjoy it. Okay, so you actively slow down for some books in terms of like how often you read it because like this is something that I struggle with sometimes is I'll hear that a book is good and I will crack it open. I'll 
start reading it and after a while the book itself like either doesn't grab me starts to feel like a slog like when that happens to you like it sounds like that hasn't happened to you much because you're reading basically the best of since 2000 or whatever but when you do hit some like end up in a book that you're not really taking anything away from like how easy is it for you to just walk away because I have a really hard time doing it. Like I feel like I'm giving up or I, that the book has defeated me somehow. Do you ever get that feeling when you're reading? I used to get that feeling. I don't get that feeling anymore. Life, life seems to be too short, especially this lit, this list right now is proving that because there has been a couple of books and I'm not going to say what they are. Like I'm not a critic and I don't know enough about, about writing to say that, but there are some books that, yeah, I, I just, uh, I, I wouldn't want to do it. But on this list that I'm doing, I don't really have that luxury because you kind of have to get, you know, you got to give a book 50, 75 pages at least sometimes. Uh, the last book kind of lost me around, I don't know, it wasn't until 200 where I lo- lost complete interest and hated every second of the rest of it. But you slogged through it. You didn't just put it, put it away. I, normally I would. Normally I would toss it aside, but at this point I'm 200 in on a book that I needed to have done four days ago. So you better just shut up and finish it. <laughs> you know, it's the sword again, the sword hanging above your fucking head. On that particular book, did like finishing out the last however many pages, like did was there relief brutal. in that? Was it reward? Oh, it just wasn't no, good. All <laughs> fucking brutal, fucking terrible, garbage. And the internet's like, oh, this is magical, and I'm like, this is shit. This is I feel, garbage. I feel like you, whether or not you want to say it on the air, I got to know what this book is now. All right. <laughs> it could be It could be a situation. The reason I'm not saying it is it could be a situation where the genre that it was was completely fucking lost to me. Hmm. So if that's the case, I'll take the L. But holy shit, it made no sense. It was By the end, I was just like, this is complete gibberish. Yeah. I mean, it is weird though. I mean, there's always something else you could be reading. So I, I think you're right. Like when you do yes. run into that sort of situation, like you, you are in a unique situation where you've put yourself on a, a schedule of having to read so many books and you, there was like a, an investment in there. There was a sunk cost in that book. Uh, the, however many pages you had already read. But I mean, if you're just reading for fun, like as maybe we should be doing more often, just in general, uh, <laughs> then yeah, if, if something doesn't work for you, put it down and just go pick something else up. I mean, it's not that hard. Time to, yeah, time to cut ties if you don't like something. Well, with this list, you you know, like I say, I get 100 pages in. If there's only 175 left, I mean, stand on your head and get it done. So, you know, I've had to do that a couple of times. But generally speaking, I think I've only really read one book that then that one book i regretted regretted reading are there any that are on the list that you are like really looking forward to to the point where you're saving them for later like you know you want to maybe save them for the end of your mission or i know nothing about pretty much what i'm reading there might be a couple instances because it depends on how this list goes i've been kind of just checking it as i go you know and 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 ordering what i need or whatever and so, so you're not if, curating at all. You're not like looking at the list and reading what people have to say about these different books and saying, "Oh, oh yeah, that I'm, sounds like what I want." A little do. bit, a little okay. bit on, on that end. On that end, yeah, for sure. But as far as like what I'll read, I think I've got, I've got two books here. But there's, I'm gonna probably deviate from the list and go to a 1990s book, and I think it's called the Poisonwood Bible. Uh, Barbara King's lover. King I could Solver, be, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. I've never read it though. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, 
Uh, I've never read it, and I feel like it's something that that should probably be read. You know, it was one of the bigger books of the '90s and and whatever. So I'm gonna I'm probably going to deviate because I saw that at the library, at the local library. So nice. you know, and then I can grab that, and and then that forces you, you know, to read it because <laughs> another fucking timeline, you know, there right? You back so. <laughs> yeah, the book I'm reading right now is uh, called End Zone by Don DeLillo. Have you read much, if any, DeLillo? Yeah. I have read. Uh, I've read three by him. Um, the Twenty Seventh City. No. Maybe I haven't I haven't heard of that one or read it, but he has. I mean, he's pretty prolific, so I'm sure there's plenty he's done that I have no idea about. White noise, right? Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. White noise was the first Delilah book I read, and that that's Me too. that's a banger. That one's good. That is a banger. That one bangs. And you know what? I would think that this is why I didn't read a lot more of him because I read that and I was like, oh, are you, this is this okay. is something. If you'll allow me to make one Delillo recommendation, Please. I would throw Underworld at you. It's it's huge. It's a big book. Uh, maybe not I, for big, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe not for you on this particular uh, year of fifty two books, but um, when you year. have more time, yeah, next year, yeah. Uh, throw that one on your on your to do list because that one is also extremely good. But um, this one I'm reading now, End Zone, it's I think it was written in the like early seventies, and it's about like a football player in college and how. I don't know, there's kind of just this weird, like, Americana college life stuff going on in the beginning, but then eventually there's, like, an enormous section of the book that is just one football game, like, spelled out in ridiculous detail, and this was something that I, I was talking, I asked you about, like, whether or not you save books, this is one that I was saving until the end of the year, because I didn't want to have to, like, I don't know, worry about trying to finish it between editing articles or whatever at 2QBs, I just wanted to be able to sit down and read this book, and I, I got to the point where that chapter or whatever of the game itself started and even that just kind of made me pause i'm like you know i'm going to put this down and i want to read it all in one sitting the problem is is i since i did that like probably like three or four weeks ago i haven't picked it up again because i again i'm just not making the time and i'm not putting myself on that sort of schedule and i I really got to do it one of these days yeah and i think it was oh man i can't remember what asshole author it was philip roth who just seems like he was an asshole from what i what i'm told Is he dead now? I'm, he I just think, died. I think so recently, yeah. I think he recently died because I think I made a very dark joke about it on Twitter. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm calling myself, oh, I was really funny once. I, I made a really shitty joke about Philip Roth. But he said something like, you know, it shouldn't take you longer. If you're not reading a book in two weeks, then you're not actually reading it. It's like, well, Phil, you know, not everybody has the time you have. <laughs> You old fuck, you know, like, what do you got to do in the morning? Eat eggs and like sleep with a hooker? Like, what is, what is, you know, what does your day look like? So it's hard, man, to make time. I have the luxury because again, you know, I can kind of just follow my kid around and I can knock out 20, 25 pages and just say, don't touch that, you know, hey, easy there. Uh, don't fall off of that. Um, don't tell your mother I'm letting you do that. Sort of. <laughs> You know, lay the ground rules. That's that's all you really yeah, do. Yeah, and and also be kind. Don't be an asshole. I just look deep in his eyes and they say, "Don't be like me. Don't be like Philip Roth." Yeah, don't be Philip Roth or your father. But if you can write some stuff like him, maybe maybe be like Roth, but maybe just be nicer about it. Um, but yeah, um, kind of bringing this back to to football or fantasy or whatever. Like, have you read anything good? Like any good books about? 
football or fantasy football or sports in general? Like, does anything stand out to you in that arena of uh, writing? Um. Wow. Recently? No, I mean, just in, in your life. In like general? It, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I read The Natural. I was quite young. Uh, I must have been. Which is kind of crazy. I don't know if you know anything about The Natural, the book. It's by Malamud, Bernard Malamud. I mean, I've seen the movie The Natural. Are they related? Like, it, that... yes, it is. It's a yes. It's I had a... no idea that movie was based on a book, and now I feel like an asshole. Yeah, and so it's uh, the movie does a really good job with this, actually. Yeah, the movie's great. Oh, the movie's fantastic. It's a fantastic making of that medium, but I felt like the book was a bit darker. You know what I mean? You get, and you do get a pretty, I felt like, I felt like the natural could have been like of all the movies that I'd like to see remade instead of fucking every superhero movie. Like I can't take it anymore. (laughs) I'm, you know what my superpower is fucking strangling whatever executive is like green lighting these projects. That's my fucking superpower to end this. Like that's my superhero. I feel like I feel like the natural hinted at some of that darkness, or it tried to, and just yes. couldn't pull it off because Robert Redford is just is too fucking good too, looking, too handsome. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Jesus, man. Like leave some for the rest of us. <sighs> yeah, so but funny. no, it's a it's a really good. Uh, and it, and again, I haven't read the book since I get this. I read that book when I was fifteen, fourteen, or fifteen. My mom, my mom bought it for me having not read it and there is a scene in the in the train car that's pretty racy you know malamud writing about it kind of a racy scene you know and for like a 15 year old kid that's you know i haven't seen any breasts like you're 15 like i'm a nerd you know i was counting like i knew that i can still tell you the backs of certain baseball cards like to the t like I didn't know anything about sex. So that I remember reading that and going, Whoa shit. Like I was like, Oh, should I burn this? This is dirty as fuck. You know, it wasn't even that dirty, you know, looking as a 15 year old, of course it is, but it was a very racy and dark book is what I'm getting at. And I thought the, but the movie did a nice job, but the book is tremendous. I remember borrowing books when I was a kid, like my, my grandmother had a lot of books and I would, you know, just you're a kid, you, you kind of, pick something based upon the title or the cover and and had like this great epic font on the front of it i end up reading it and like maybe a hundred pages in you realize it's, it's basically just yeah like a trashy romance novel yes <laughs> and yeah. i was like oh okay this uh, this is a thing and i had no idea you know what i mean but I malamuds, that... malamuds is not i mean he was it, it's kind of a christian uh slant and maybe a little heavy-handed with uh the symbolism but the story itself, you know, the, you know, the temptation and, you know, what lust causes and, you know, what love can redeem. And, you know, I mean, you can you can say what you want, but it made for one hell of a fucking movie. You know, like that movie is, is tremendous. And the book is, you know, pretty true to that. So, you know. Yeah, that's cool. But the, it's much darker. And I don't I'm sitting here talking about it, but shit, I don't remember anything about that book besides that one scene. I, I'm amazed at how that how often that comes up with me with the books that I love, where I remember loving it when I read it, and then I'll go back and reread it, and I'll rediscover stuff that I totally forgot about, like routinely. I'll miss very important plot points. I'll forget characters altogether. And it's funny how like a book can leave that sort of lasting impression on you without 
you know, without you getting bogged down in the, the details that are on the back of the baseball card. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that that's another thing uh, going into next year after I kind of knock out some things this year. Because I'm really, I think I'm going to be able to dig into, the, you know, both my uh, things I missed in the 90s and uh, also with this list, be able to knock out a lot of the stuff that I needed to read. You know, there's just things on here you got to read. I just finished a book called uh, Rasure by Percival uh, Everett. It was just a tremendous book. Also uh, based in L.A., and it's uh, it's about a black guy, black writer. He's kind of fed up with the, the genre that was precious. Uh, I don't know if you remember this uh, book back in the early 2000s, and it was sort of written in a uh, sort of a eubonics kind of, kind of way, you know. And Percival Everett, kind of sick of this, he's a writer in the novel, and he writes postmodern novels, and he tired of this genre go ahead he he writes one of these but under a uh you know a pseudonym so he uses a different name and then it's all unfolding as this book becomes wildly popular you know and he actually has the book itself uh, a good majority of it is actually in in erasure so you you turn the page and suddenly you're thrust into this other uh novel within a novel. Oh, I love that. That's cool. Oh, dude, it's, this book was, this is one of the, that I was saying earlier. That's probably in the top 25 books that I've ever read. And it, it, I'm sitting here talking to you about it. And I'm spo- I was supposed to start another book today. Today's Monday. I finished it last night. I'm a week behind already. And I needed to start another book today, but I just, out of respect to erasure, I should take the month off, but I can only take the day <laughs> off. And I'm being serious when I say this, because if I was reading just like if this was last year, I would just sit and look at that book again, you know, for a week. I wouldn't read it again. I wish I was that patient, but I I would go back and like flip through the pages and just land on something and and read some of it. Um, Just tremendous, tremendous stuff. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, what are some of your other like favorite unique devices in a book, you know, like where you, you talked about how you turn the page and suddenly you're reading the character's novel. Um, does anything else like that jump to mind? Like I remember the first time I read an oral history, it was a fictional oral history. And I just thought that was so cool and so amazing that you're getting all these different points of view from different characters in the book and just the way that it all kind of congealed together as you went. And, and like they, you're getting all these different narrators kind of building up the world for you, as opposed to typically when you read something, it's you just get one person's point of view. And I remember the first time I read something like that, that was pretty groundbreaking. Does anything else like that spring to mind for you where, you know, just the device of how the story is presented kind of stood out? No, I mean, I think, uh, and I hate to go back because we already, we don't want to beat a dead horse here, but the sympathizer and, and the way it was put together it's so beautifully simple, and that, and yet you're reading and you go, "How, fuck? How did he do this? <laughs> how am how how am I still like you? When you put this book down, okay, which you won't want to do, like you would, I would say you like next time I read this book, I want to be alone for like 72 hours and just do it, you know, like go through it, because you don't want to put it down. It's that." It's that good. So and and it, the way he tells the story is sort of like these like mini flashbacks that all kind of congeal to the present time that he started when he started the chapter or whatever. 
uh, that would be a good way to explain it. That's a terrible way to explain nah, it. No, I mean, sure. that, that's like, pretty I'm cool. sure like a Yale, a Yale professor would be like, you're an idiot. But, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it, but I'm, again, this book is impossible to explain without, you know, you actually reading it. And that would probably be the, the best structure I've ever seen, I feel. And this could be, you know, again, it's probably lost in translation, but War and Peace, the way it folded into itself and sort of was cannonballing to this finish that you just, when you got to the end, you were like, holy shit. Like, what? This guy was like, like God help him. Did, did God help him write this? Like, how did he do this? I get that feeling sometimes when I'm listening to music that I really love. Like, I just, because I, I played a little bit of music back in college, like played in a couple of rock bands and like, I'll, even like simple stuff, like blues based rock and roll like I'll, I'll sometimes hear something that someone came up with and it's probably super simple like it probably didn't take too much to make it all come together but just the way that certain people put you know certain instruments together certain chords together notes together harmonies whatever and i just i just think to myself I was like how the fuck did they come up with that like that is so cool like that sounds amazing and how did no one else ever figure this out sooner but I, again i think it just comes back to what you were talking about earlier where just take the, you just got to take the time and try shit out. You got to do stuff always. You always got to be moving forward. And it's, yes. it's, it's, I don't know, super important, but we lose sight of it so easily. It's so wild. And I, and I think that, you know, that, I think that was part of the reason I wanted to do the list too, because I, I've been a reader my whole life and I felt like I was getting a little lazy with reading. Uh, and I am a little worried about what fall brings. Cause I just, I love fantasy and I like to play it and, and it's, a good stress reliever. And I'm hoping that the NFL continues to be a little bit more progressive, you know, like fingers crossed. Welcome to the, you know, 21st century. I don't really understand their play on this. Like the, you know, every other league is, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, fighting, fighting the inevitable of gambling. And cause I mean, come on, why am I watching? <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Trust me, I'm not watching because I look up to some of these fellas. Like, clean house and just be a well-run organization with some consistency and, and, and respect for humanity. See, see, the thing is, is I, I think they know that stuff already, and they actually like to breed the controversy because it makes them it makes them bigger. It makes them... Yeah, okay. yeah, and I just don't know how long uh, you can... Uh, that uh, That feels like a thing that just can't last, right? Or am I wrong? No, I, I hope you're right. Don't get me wrong. I just, I, I feel like right now they think about it in such short term terms mm. where yes. they say, oh, you know, if we keep these controversies coming up every, you know, two months or one month or whatever, like hopefully it's not all that often. But if they keep on delivering these new stories that everyone's going to talk about because the NFL is so popular and because these are such big issues, like it's like Howard Stern, they, they watch it because they hate him or they hate it. They like want to know what happens next. And I don't know when you throw in the gambling and the fantasy to kind of justify all the nonsense that you put up with, like you add fun to this thing that is creating unfun situations for certain sects of people. Like, I I don't know. I think, I think they get away with it and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe uh, that's, maybe that can't last. I, I hope you're right. Yeah. It's kind of fucked up, man. And like when I stopped, I, I think <laughs> this sounds like a real uh, idle threat since I'm definitely going to play fantasy this next year. But it was it was hilarious how easily I sort of shut it off. You know, I just shut the faucet off and I found 
other obsessions. And it was, it was easy for me because I've always had these other obsessions. Like I'm, I'm still obsessed with reading. Like I'll still read during the season. Like I, I have to be reading a book. Um, at first I thought it was just so I could get laid, but I never did get laid because of it. So I guess, <laughs> I guess it turned out good. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I read all the time, but I do enjoy fantasy and I'm probably going to play again. However, it was easy to shut it off. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it was totally. easy to say, I, I got a new hobby now. I don't need the fucking NFL. But I, I've started looking at stuff now. But So speaking of not getting laid and reading, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about fantasy writing and f- reading about fantasy, uh, just kind of to bring things full circle. And I'm curious, a- as a consumer of fantasy content, when you are reading, what's more important to you, do you feel like? Do you feel like it's the writer's writing style or their analytical skills, or are they too tied together for it to make a difference? Like, wh- where do you stand on that sort of... I don't know that fulcrum between, you know, how good of a writer somebody is just writing skills alone versus how good they are at analyzing the game of fantasy. Like where does, where do you fall on that spectrum? I think that I think short and quick is probably the better way to go. You know, as much as when I was writing start sits, you know, uh, and I would love that. I wish I should have been better about this, but I was always pretty lazy. I, I did it the first year I did it. I kind of, I did an article the same week of hits and misses. So I talked about where I was right and where I was wrong. Okay. And I think that that is like a really cool thing to do. Uh, mostly cause then you can, you start to correct your process, I think a little bit over the course of a year. Yep. Accountability um, is definitely I, a good thing. Yeah. Accountability. Right. So I did that. I probably tracked it for, I don't know, two or three years when I was, essentially single and <laughs> really <laughs> probably should have been doing other things. But when you do that, I feel like over the course of the year, and I don't know if anybody can do that for you because obviously each one of your teams is going to be, you know, unique to somebody else's. Uh, but you can really kind of improve over the year, hopefully, uh, theoretically. I think that's true because this last year, again, I was down the rabbit hole and, you know, I, th- I had an amazing year fantasy-wise. No championships, though. Which is another reason to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> that is one one element that I think is helpful, though, is if you see that accountability from the writer, you as the consumer uh, can glean a little bit more from that, right? Like, not only do you see the reasoning behind somebody making a prediction, you also get to see, you know, their explanation as to, you know, why the decision was poor or good in the first place. And even if your application even if you can't apply that specifically to your team and your league to see someone work through you know the before and after i think is helpful in terms of developing your own process as a consumer right and i think it's it's challenging to get there but you're right like the shorter you can keep those little blurbs about players or whatever the better sometimes though it just feels so hard to pack in all the information you want like i have an issue with writing way 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 too much about too little and it's something i've gotten better about over the past couple years but i still struggle with that from time to time um just in general ken who are some of your favorite fantasy writers or i guess content producers like i I don't know if you want to like call it a podcast or anything i mean you're talking to somebody now who's pretty great but um (laughs) and that's the tricky part right like i don't want to you know i feel bad i don't want to like call too many people out or whatever, you know, and 
Okay, so let, let me reframe the question. I mean, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, because if you mention one person and then you don't mention yeah, like ten others, it's it, that seems like you're an asshole. So let let me yeah. put it this way: like, who was what was the first instance you remember thinking that hey, this is a really good analyst or this is a really good fantasy writer? Like, start it. I guess what incepted that for you? Like, who was the first person you remember kind of really clicking for you as a reader? Oh, back in the day. Yeah, sure. Oh man, I I mean. It was probably just Roto World in general. I mean, I was following Roto World, and they've been around a long time, right? Yep, yeah, definitely. I mean, they've they've been in the game a long time, and to be quite honest, I don't even always read the blurbs on that website. I'm more of a – I'm looking at, what, four or five stats probably? I'm looking at targets. I'm looking at last three games. I'm looking at, you know – you know, probably that's about it. Like, I don't even care about anything else because once you know those things, you know, you, you can make an assessment on whether to grab a guy. And that, that website for me has always been kind of the go-to for like free agents. And on top of that, it's free and I'm a cheap fuck. I, so. Hey, that's half the battle for sure. Yeah. For me, the first time I remember really being kind of blown away at something that was a little different, uh, that, that like really, really stood out to me was, um, Rasball, the the fantasy baseball website, their main guy over there, the guy who owns and operates the website, uh, Gray Albright. I'm pretty sure it's a pseudonym, but oh, that website's great. Oh yes. my god, yeah. I remember reading those articles <laughs> and just website's great. realizing yeah. that you could actually put like jokes and nonsense into a fantasy article and just being yeah. like, ah, oh, what a revelation! Like this is great. Like I can be entertained and I can learn something about these players I'm trying to pick up for my team. Like this is the best of both worlds. And so I, I do want to give him a shout out. Um, it helps that like, that was the first place where I ever got an article published. Uh, but, but again, it was because I was already there reading their stuff and I saw, Hey, they're running a, a contest for writing. And I was like, Oh great. I'm going to enter this because wouldn't it be awesome if my, my shit was alongside this other stuff. That's really, really great. And I, I don't know, a big shout out to them. I'll never forget kind of the first time I read gray and, and what that did for my understanding of what a fantasy article could be because that, I mean, it changed it forever for sure. Yeah. And I mean, when you start naming, I mean, that was back in the day and I still go to Roto World now, but like, you know, the Rotoviz uh, mm-hmm. team over there, always good stuff there. I mean, when I, that's, and that's why I hate having this conversation because I'm inevitably not mentioning someone I should be. And, you know, I feel bad about that because it, it's, there's so many. I'm amazed all the time at the content. Cause I, again, by like week, I keep saying week 14, it was more like week 11. I was like, I'm fucking done with this shit, man. I can't write anymore about these guys. I hate all of them. I want everyone to fail. <laughs> I want my team to implode. Like I was just over it. It was too much. So I'm always amazed at people that are able to, you know, provide this content and a lot of content and quality content, uh, weekly on a weekly basis throughout the year. Yeah. But people are there to consume it. I mean, just like we talked about how there's always another book you can be reading. There's always more you can be digging into in terms of fantasy analysis. and Right. And I and that's why I feel even worse about this because it's like I'm, I'm not an authority on this. Like I could talk about books, literature, till the cows come home. But I'm certainly not an authority on what what good fantasy writing is, you know, or because I, I haven't read enough. I haven't read enough content, especially this time of year. Yeah, I mean, what I, I might as, let's close out the show with this then, because um, one thing that that has been going on this off season, and, and Ryan McDowell does this every year. He does like a 
a list of top follows for a bunch of, bunch of different types of analysis. Oh, his content, uh, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's way. great. And yeah. every year he puts so much back into the community and, and these lists that he does are one of the many ways he does that, where he basically throws out a question that says, Hey, who are your favorite Twitter follows for dynasty for two quarterback for IDP for DFS? And he soaks up all those replies. Everybody gets limited to, you know, five votes essentially per tweet. And when that's all done, he compiles the list and he shares that with everybody. So if you're looking for uh, listeners, more good fantasy content out there, good follows, good people to read. Um, I would suggest checking out uh, Ryan McDowell's uh, fantasy football or FF follows um, on Twitter. And that's a, that's a great place to start because you can get it by category. Uh, you know what you care about kind of, spelled out and even if you're aware of like 90 percent of the people on those lists already you might find one person that you weren't aware of right or maybe it'll turn you on to some completely different format or type of analysis that you weren't considering and, and that'll improve your game but yeah there's so much out there man I don't, I don't know how we all sort through it but we do our best and eventually you know we we have to click that submit button on our lineups yeah and and i just i feel bad you know what i mean that i don't know more about it like i'll this would be a better question for me on a (laughs) follow-up in like august because then i'll be like well i'm reading this this and this because uh you know it'll ramp up then for the drafts which again i have no idea where i'm going to find the time i'm going to need a lot of short books i think at that time well then yeah let's put that on the calendar tentatively and let's wrap this up uh and once you know kind of draft season is rolled back around i'll have you back on and we can talk about who you're reading what stood out to you and um yeah all that good stuff ken Ken, i really want to thank you for coming on the show again it's been a ton of fun uh this is uh, more of a a kind of an excursion into a different territory for me i don't think i've ever talked about literature or books on the show before but i mean i had a lot of fun doing it so uh thanks for uh for for being here yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Greg. All right. Uh, do you want to let anybody know? I don't mean, I, I, I know that you've logged off Twitter uh, for the time being, uh, perhaps permanently. I, I, we were going to talk about that, but maybe we can save that as well. Um, but do you want to let people know where they can contact you or anything along those lines? Well, I'm going to be back on Twitter here for the draft, so everybody will be able to see me then. I, I got to get back on and get the fix going again. So catch me at Dexter's underscore library. Very good. And you can follow me on there at Greg Sauce. Uh, I'm not super active on Twitter these days. I, again, I'm kind of in the same boat as Ken, waiting for uh, the draft to roll around, and then I'll ramp up a little bit more during uh, the preseason and, and training camp. But um, thank you all for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the show. Ratings and reviews, much appreciated. Uh, we will uh, catch you next time. Uh, that's it for now. Adios. Adios.